friends and welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host Christopher Heimerman and I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a counselor, not a doctor, not a psychiatrist. I'm not even an ultra runner. Not yet. No, I'm a guy with 842 days of sobriety and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. Like I said, I'm not an ultra marathoner yet. I'm training for my first 50k in a couple of weeks here. However, I do have a multi-multi-ultra runner on the program, and her name is Pam Rickard. She is the director of active engagement for the Heron Project, which helps people struggling with addiction get into appropriate treatment. Pam herself is 16 and a half years sober, and she is an absolute ray of sunshine. So I'm so grateful for her joining me on the podcast. I am looking out the window, and it's a great day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's Get it. gang if you're looking for a lift if you're looking for a little pick me up i urge you get thee to instagram and follow pam rickard pam is an eternal optimist she's a deep thinker she has energy to burn and she just exudes joy you know and she recently shared a post that totally summarizes why i adore her and why I identify with her. And, and, and this message really it reaffirms what I believe and it gives me confidence. She posted recently that she hadn't run in more than a week because she's nursing an injury. And she says she's following the doc's directions and she's grateful she even gets to run. Oh, I just love that. And I have heard that narrative a lot since I got sober. And I remember being back in the thick of addiction. And even back then, I heard it from the most important woman in my life, my wife, Kayla. When I was battling depression and anxiety, when I was drinking in secret, and then I'd be miserably anxious and depressed. And she didn't know why, because I wasn't being truthful with her. There was a day that I was at home and hiding under the covers and I was messaging with her. And I told her I, I, I'm supposed to be getting out for my run today because, of course, we were training for a marathon. I said, but I just can't bring myself to do it. And she said, she's like, why don't you put on your shoes, go out for a run. It doesn't have to be anything special. Just remember that you need to be grateful that you even can run. And that, that message from my brilliant, beautiful, extraordinary wife has stuck with me. And so when I hear folks like Pam driving that message home over social media, it just, it, it absolutely warms my heart. Because all that we're guaranteed is what we can do right now. Like it's important to reflect on the past and to understand why we do the things that we do, why we did the things that we did. And it's important to set goals and things that we're driving toward. But I, I, in my humble opinion, and like I said, so many people are corroborating this, 
and what we're capable of doing right now, enjoying this process and enjoying this journey, appreciating the fact that we can run, that we get to. And you can substitute any word in there that you'd like, that we get to sing, that we get to paint, that we get to watch Netflix, that we get to cook, whatever your passion is. This isn't just about running. That's the key to joy and to happiness and the sort of joy and happiness that, like I said, Pam just has in spades. It's infectious and I love it. Now, Pam, like myself, had to go through rehab 16 and a half years ago in order to get on the proper path to sobriety. Well, I've got a partner here in Northern Illinois that can help you determine whether it's rehab counseling, the best course of action for you to live your best life. It's DUI and behavioral health counseling centers here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. If you're loaded, it's going to run you 80 bucks. That's the max. If you're a veteran and NIU student or unemployed, you're going to get a break. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email DUIBHS at gmail.com. So grateful for the work that Ron and his team are doing, and I can't say it enough. I'm so grateful for the Pam Rickards of the world and the energy that they're putting out there. You know, she, she continues to say she doesn't want to be corny, that she doesn't want to be obnoxious with all of this beautiful energy. However, we need that. We need that stuff to latch on to. And yes, in our conversation, we go over some war stories. We talk about the ugliness of addiction, but my mantra is we have to flip it. We have to circle back to how dope, awesome, fulfilling, and rewarding things are now. It's a balancing act. It's a matter of being authentic and honest. And that's exactly, surprise, surprise, what we got from Pam in this conversation. What do you think? You want to hear it? Cool. This is my conversation with my sweet dear friend, Pam Rickard. It's Pam Rickard. How are you? Christopher, I'm grateful. How are you? You know, I'm I'm wonderful. And that's that's like the um uh, that's like one of the very adjectives that I've come to describe you with is Aww. grateful. You just you just exude joy. No, well, thank you. Sometimes it can be obnoxious, so I try to keep it <laughs> balanced. <laughs> <laughs> like a toothache, right? Yeah, it's not, yeah. My my kid, my uh, my adult now kids have said I'm gratefully, obno I'm obnoxiously grateful, but that's in a good way. That's a good thing. Well, what's not to be happy about when you have? I, I saw five thousand six hundred eighteen days of sobriety. Is that right uh, as of today? 
as of today. Yes, that's right. Yes. That, that's so cool that you actually added that extra day. Yeah, I had to look it up when I posted um, on the first regarding recovery month. And I thought, how many 24 hours do I have? So I, I looked up on my little calculator, my sobriety calculator. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm a journalist. So the, these details are very important to me. <laughs> and as somebody in recovery, these details are very important to me too. I, let's see, 838 days as of our conversation. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And it's the, the moment that we're in right now, actually, that counts the most. So uh, that as corny as that sounds, that's how that's what I've learned in my recovery. And I that is such a freedom that I never had before. Well, you know, you've you've pointed it out. And I love this narrative that you have that it's being grateful for what we can do. And when you do that, you enjoy the journey. Exactly. So you can't you can be here and you can be happy to be here. Yeah, you really can. And it's not just a post or a meme or a, a platitude. It's a reality. And that that I think is so important because we have so much coming at us all the time. Even the good stuff is is sometimes can just be overwhelming. So if we can learn to, you know, accept acceptance as part of recovery, you know, sounds, you know, it's it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And that's comforting to me. Speaking of, uh, you know, where we are in the present is you are training for four marathons in five weeks. Is, is that is that what you have coming up this fall? Is it like New York and London? Yes, it was going to be it was going to be Berlin, too. But then um, Berlin was deferred for our for the charity programs. It was deferred to 2022. But Berlin is actually the weekend before London. So there's London, Boston, um, then Cleveland. Than New York. Yeah. So we're, we're going to gratefully try four. For those who aren't well-versed in your, in your legacy, your, your running resume. I mean, these are going to be, this is going to get you up to like 85 marathons in your career. Am I, am I right? Oh, uh, well, actually it will, I've ha I have 64 marathons, but I have more than a hundred when it comes to um, adding ultras. So if you take the marathon distance of an ultra, it would be more than, but, but just, just counting, yeah, counting the actual marathons, this will be, um, London will be 62 and then we'll go from there. The last tally that I'd seen was that you had 80 marathons slash ultra marathons. And, and I find it interesting that you said, well, if you include the ultras, I suppose. <laughs> right. And if you include the self, uh, the non-official events, then it's more than that because we've had I've had such a fortunate situation to be able to do a few things like be part of a team that ran across the country continuing the conversation on mental health and uh, substance use disorder so that was those were quite a few miles and then I got to run from my home in southwest virginia to williamsburg um a couple months ago just my husband crewing me and me running to celebrate um, our anniversary and my so sober anniversary. So those those are my favorite types of events because, I mean, I love what I do for work and I love the running community, but being able to use running to um, celebrate things and to even raise money to help other people so you can grow good with it as well is better than free money to me. <laughs> 
I don't know you apart from the fact that, look, this is no hyperbole. You might be my favorite follow on Instagram just because I need that relentless energy. And it's, and it's not just, it's not just cheerleading though. Like you get into it on a like deep and molecular level of like gratitude. You had a post about, I didn't own these miles. I don't, I don't hold the rain, but. Oh, I can't believe, thank you for even remembering that one. Yeah. And Again, I want to be so careful here because, you know, followers and posts and all that stuff. And I actually want to be real careful always. I check my motivation even before I post something because it's like, am I trying to curate an image? No, I'm trying to share truth. And so that's why even like this past weekend, I posted something. I was like, yeah, I, I had another long run who cares? I care, blah, blah, blah. And, but, but I had a, 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 you know, some thoughts I wanted to share about it, but again, it's not about curating an image. It's about sharing things that I, that may be helpful to others. And if not, that's okay. As long as it's not hurtful. So if it's annoying, you know, people can move on. But yeah, that was really, that was literally a, a, I don't want to say an epiphany, but a thought that came to me as I was running, that I don't own, I was running in the rain. I was like, I don't own this rain. I don't even own these miles there. I just, I get to, to participate in this right now. That's what I get to do. And it, that was such a, a, that was very, a very grateful thought that came to me as I was running in the rain, (laughs) you know? Well, but there's nothing about your, you know, image that I feel like it's curated. Like it doesn't feel Uh, like deliberate or contrived to me. It just feels like a human being being very authentic. And, and I guess we can kind of, we can smell our own because I can't, I can't count the number of times that I've been out on a long run and on something profound will come to me and be like, do not forget this. You need to share this. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that, exactly. I've had the same experience. And then every once in a while, though, when that happens, I'll think, I'll even prayerfully consider, I'll think, if this is something that is real and that is valuable to share, you know, do that later when you come home. You know, think, you know, think it through, run it through. And if that's still a truth, then you're going to, you're going to remember and post that later. So I, I, I've done that a lot. I used to be like, and, and have kind of a joking, image where I would be posting during runs. And it's nothing wrong with, to, with that either. And I've had a couple of really fun marathons where I have actually didn't care about the time and I was posting through the marathon. Um, and that was fun. I did that actually, I got to run Boston one year um, in 2017, I believe it was on the anniversary date on my sobriety birthday. So that was really, um, I didn't plan anything. I just wanted to run it and experience it. And then, but um, one of my teammates wrote 11 years sober today on my arm, literally in Hopkinton. And so that was really cool because then I was, as I was running, there were people that were yelling things or saying things on the side. And so I would stop every once in a while. Anyway, without going into that whole story, that was one of my slowest marathons, but it was literally one of the top three experiences marathon running in my life because of what that day meant to me personally and then how the I interacted with people along the way and actually saw some people that I knew you know during the marathon 
So, you know, running into someone, you know, at the grocery store is one thing, but running into someone during the Boston Marathon is amazing. So you stop and take pictures and you don't care about your time. So, yeah, ab absolutely. It's funny that you bring up your sober birthday because my literal, like, you know, trip around planet Earth birthday right. is, Belly button is birthday. yeah, there we go. It's, it's <laughs> this Monday. It's Labor Day this year. Yeah. But you know what? I have never been less interested in this birthday when it gets to be close to May 21st. Like to me, like I'm getting ready for like the Macy's day parade like that, that like, how, how do you feel about your sober birthday compared to your, your belly button birthday? Oh, actually, um, again, without sounding too corny, it is, um, I couldn't, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have one without the other, but I also likely would not be celebrating, um, my natural birthday without my sobriety birthday. And it is more meaningful the older I get and not just the more sober, you know, the longer I'm sober, but the older I am, because with um, a little over 15 years now and facing 60 years old, I'm finding that it is such a gift because I kind of get to be born again, be, be, you know, experiencing things as a sober person. Not that I was drunk for 43 years or whatever, but I wasn't who I am now because of recovery. So I get to experience life through that lens. So it really feels, I mean, I don't hate the old me. I don't discard because that is part of me and that's who I was, but um, it feels Again, I don't want to sound too corny, but it it feels like a second chance, literally. Like it keeps me so far from even caring about getting older because I get to, oh, I get to experience all this new stuff as a sober person, as a imperfect, evolving mess, but someone who has a gratitude and a relentless honesty, to be honest with you. I mean, that honesty thing is huge and humility that I didn't experience before, even though I had success. And I had, you know, my incredible husband and, and three kids. I was not, you know, a bad person when I was in those younger years, but I wasn't who I am today. One other quick example is where I got sober is a place called Farley Center in Williamsburg. And not everybody even needs to go to treatment or, you know, that's one of the things I we do for a living is we help people figure out treatment navigation, where they, you know, wh what kind of help best suited, is best suited to them. Um, financially and every other reason. But when I graduated from the Farley Center in May of 2006, to me, it, it actually means more than when I graduated from Ohio University in, in 1984, because it, it's, it's, it was a, a degree, you know, to, to take away and live. And just like with a degree from a university, nothing magic happened. It all had to start happening the minute I left there. You know, you can walk around with a degree and unless you do something with it, it means nothing. Mm -hmm. And you can actually do worse if you ignore what you learned getting your degree. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I do not ignore what I learned. And I followed directions at Farley Center vastly better than I ever followed directions at Ohio University. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like we think about like training and education and stuff. And there's so much about like, oh, you're going to learn this stuff on the job. You'll learn it as you go with sobriety. It's like, no, you better do the work while you're in treatment and get yes. ready for while you're out there. 
I want to make sure I drop this in there uh, because you mentioned this is what we do. We're talking about the Heron Project, which is an absolute godsend for people like at at all stages of recovery and addiction. Uh, making it possible to get people into treatment is. And to me, it's more important than than ever before, given what we're living through in the pandemic. For me, getting into treatment absolutely was a lifeline. I am pleased that one of the partners of the podcast is actually the place where I went to my rehab, Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation, or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. Okay, Pam. So as I was saying, you know, I had tried throwing any other noodle that I could find at the wall and, and some of them stuck, but they fell off. <laughs> That's a great analogy. I am going to steal that and I'm giving you credit forevermore right now. <laughs> it's all yours. It's all yours. And I don't want to get too far away from something I was going to mention before. You, you keep saying that I don't want to be corny. I don't want to be corny. I don't want to be corny. <laughs> What's going on with that? Because sometimes I'll do kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Are we worried about people tuning out because we're making things too sugary or too celebrated or too cliche? Cause you know what? Cliches are cliches for a reason. Yeah. And one other thing I've been noticing recently, I mean, some people consider it corny when you, when you talk about coincidences and I have had some insane coincidences mm -hmm. recently, like the universe telling you stuff kind of coincidences. I don't want you to stop being corny. Who wants you to stop being corny? Who hurt you, Pam? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, no one hurt me, but I think I've, I've been by a lot of people that love me actually have helped me to keep me honest and to keep me humble because I'm, I guess because I'm so concerned about walking that road of humility that I don't want to, well, and, and and which is one of the reasons I like doing podcasts and things like this too, because it helps to share the, the light a little bit more and the truth over what really is going on. Because I am admittedly in a really good place. I love my life. I'm healthy. I'm strong right this minute. I have an incredible family that I'm just mad about more and more as, as the days go on. My work is beyond fulfilling. Um, in, in, in everything, in every way. Now, the truth is, is that a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people in this world, as we speak, whether it's in our country and of course, outside of this country, are hurting for a myriad of reasons. So have that, and that lays heavy on my heart and mind more than it ever did. I'll be honest with you. I was, again, not a bad person, but a much more selfish person. So now I even sometimes go, dang it. I, you know, I almost wish I didn't care so much about stuff because it is, it's a burden to carry. So 
I'm, I'm constantly, I think, checking my motives and probably over apologizing as you so eloquently put out really that I need to not apologize so much about either being corny or being grateful or being positive. Um, I just don't want to, you know, pour salt in someone's wound by talking about how great I feel or am. But what I, the real message I would like to get across is the potential that's out there that regardless of where you are, if you're still breathing and whether it's addiction or any other negative, ugly, because it's an ugly world. It's a dark place sometimes. And we all go through crap. I don't care what your, you know, background or details are. So there's so much hope and so much um, help available that I think, a lot, and that I know a lot of people either aren't aware of or just you know, are, are too hopeless to, to look for. Boy, there are so many moving targets, so many moving parts with this in that I, I, I try to strike sort of that balance of vulnerability, but also then celebrating and showing just how amazing life is, you know, when, when the program works. And that's what I try to strike with the podcast. I'm not going to name any podcasts, but some of them you get into the interviews and it's nothing but war stories. I don't want to live there. Like, I don't want this voyeuristic feeling. Yeah. I'm going to totally like hash this out live, just, you know, gushing my brain. Good. If I'm posting and I'm celebrating a run, I would virtually guarantee that I will have like the 50 Instagram followers who like all of my running posts. Well, I'll hop on there and like and, right. and comment on it. Now, if I post something about me lying in bed and unable to get out from underneath the covers because I'm so deep in a fit of depression... 200, 250 like, mm -hmm. people will weigh in and, and rally to me. So it's like there has to sort of be that balance in order to connect with people to sort of meet them where they meet are. Meet them where they are. Yes. Those are the, that's it. That's the, those are the words. I want to sort of uh, you know, poke around in this for a moment in terms of being joyful and being grateful and such. And we're going to go on the way back machine. You know, when you were a kid, when you were a teenager growing up, I'm going to step out on a limb and guess that you were a very, a, a joyful youngster. How does this arc go? This is sort of war stories. Can you tell me what addiction and recovery looked like for you? What, what life was like as a child? Were you in your twenties and thirties when, when things got out of control? Like what, what does your story look like? Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll be brief, but I did have, I mean, I was very, I was very outgoing. I was joyful. I'm the oldest of three and I was strong-willed type joyful, <laughs> as a, most parents know what that means. Very gregarious and outgoing, but also very fearful. And so that did not, that stayed with me. And uh, my parents divorced when I was young and uh, I was seven, going on eight. Just to give you a quick picture of the kind of kid I was, I was trying to orchestrate them getting back together. And, you know, it wasn't the cute, fun way that you see, like, in TVs and, and movies <laughs> where the kid, you know, orchestrates a meeting. And I mean, I really was doing that and trying to um, accomplish that at a young age. And, of course, it didn't work. And it was a little bit traumatic. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't blame that on my alcoholism. But I, I see the patterns, even when I was younger, how I was outwardly outgoing, but inwardly extremely fearful and, and anxious. So that's, you know, I, in, in a nutshell, I say my, uh, 
my addiction journey was, and it came to a head with the perfect storm of arrogance and fear. I was arrogant in terms of wanting to control it myself and fix it because I was very high functioning, as we hear many times. I was 43 when I got sober. So I was, I graduated college, married my college sweetheart, had an excellent career. I also have a journalism degree, um, was making good money, had three incredible kids. But it was, and all of that was happening while there, you know, even though I believe I I'm, was an alcoholic from the very beginning and the first time I drank, I was 14 and blacked out. And um, I know that's where technically it began. I was able to manage it just like I was able to manage my fear all throughout my life up until, uh, as we know, with addiction, it uh, it does not go away. True addiction, you either, you know, the old um, jails institution or death um, is, is what I believe to be very true. And I've experienced the institutions in the jail. Fortunately, got um, I'm in recovery now instead of of dying from the disease. But um, so anyway, yeah. So I it you know I I didn't drink consistently through those years. Um, it wasn't a true arc of a progression. It was a roller coaster, as it is with with most people. I can only speak to myself. But I drank you know um, socially in college, and then I never drank when I was pregnant or breastfeeding or really training for a marathon. So again, that kept me sicker longer, I believe, because I was really able to control it. Plus, again, I didn't look, I looked like I was very successful on the outside. I was fit. I was, I ran seven marathons active in my alcoholism. I qualified for Boston five times. So I wasn't even, just like with most of us, I wasn't sitting around going, ah, you know, twirling my mustache going, I'm going to fool everyone and keep drinking. You know, I was just going, oh, this isn't working again. I got to figure this out or go, okay, I'm not going to drink for three weeks. I'm not going to drink until Christmas, all that junk. And then when I finally realized I needed a little bit of help, I would, I went to some outpatient, I went to some meetings, I tried some, you know, I just... Everything except surrender. Everything except surrender. Jail. I had a, a, a jail stint before I even surrendered and then after I surrendered. So I really am profoundly amazed and grateful that I was allowed to live long enough to surrender on April 17, 2006, which to me, that's where surrender equals freedom. The, surrendering was not giving up. It was giving it over. Mm-hmm. And I could talk about this for an, you know, all day and I won't go any further um, unless you have any specific questions. But the relationship I have with my dad today is miraculous. And I don't use that word lightly. And, and it actually got worse after I got sober because, you know, there was just things that, that came out and I was just, you know, he was not receptive at first, but we really, really had to, to come to, you know, meet each other where we were, so to speak. And it was the work I did. And I saw him in a true light and not this light that I had worked up in my, in my addicted, fearful brain. Yeah. Anytime that, you know, I'm talking with somebody who is struggling or somebody who is in early recovery, there are so many benefits 
to recovery and reclaiming your life. But really the two things that I come back to, and again, this is meeting people on their level, but number one is sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And on a broader scale, feeling physically healthy, you know, being active in your life. But the other thing is the deep connections in your life, whether it be family or friends, because like, I'd like to believe that's what we as humans are. That's what we want out of life more than anything is deep interpersonal connections and relationships. Sobriety has given me that in spades in terms of all the relationships that if if they hadn't completely fallen off the cliff, were like teetering on the edge until I finally, until I finally got myself right. Let alone the new relationships, not just with other people in recovery, which is a whole nother incredible gift, but the relationships that you can have in normal life now that again, we weren't walking around trying to be bad people, but I just didn't see people or life the way I do now. And it's not through rose colored glasses, but it's through, I'm aware, I'm present. (laughs) It's through normal is, you know, is what, what's normal. But I, and I, also agree, I also agree with you. Normal is messy is what it is, but it's, it's messy. It's good, bad, ugly, everything in between, but it's not altered. It's real. I'm feeling, I feel bored, angry, sick, thrilled, disgusted, ecstatic, all those things. And I couldn't tolerate that before. Even good feelings. I would, as towards the end, I would cover up with, with alcohol, which was my main drug of choice. But the other thing I completely agree with you, and I think that there, I know that there are scientific studies now that show that that is, we are created as creatures of connection and we need that. I just heard yesterday when I was listening to NPR as I was driving, and I wish I could remember the source, but where they were talking about even more, even better than exercise itself is connection, which is why exercising and connection, not that you have to go to a big marathon, but some some type of connection with moving your body is the absolute best prescription for mental health as well as physical health. Because even if you're, if you're isolated for long periods of time, but you've got your gym equipment and your treadmill and everything in your house, you can still stay physically healthy, but that isolation is is really can can be deadly for some folks. I love that 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 collision, that overlapping of uh, exercise and physical fitness and and connection with people, and and hence why you have like the greatest job in the world, in my humble opinion. <laughs> it must it must absolutely fill your cup. Talking about the high functioning thing. Uh, before we get away from that, like, uh, you know, solidarity sister, like I was a newspaper editor. I was actually training for a marathon right up until the day I was tapering when I, when I finally surrendered and checked into treatment Wow! and I continued to train while in treatment the day after I was discharged, I ran, I ran my marathon. Yeah. Which leads me to let's, let's dive into the running thing. Uh, you know, and bef- before we do, I just want to emphasize one more time that this, this is that balance though. And I appreciate you going there a little bit in terms of the war story and talking about what addiction looked like for you. Because uh, to me, this is the bee's knees is when we take that and then we flip it so that we could say, look, 
this is why we're so damn happy. This is why we're always on the mountaintop screaming about this stuff is because we've seen that. Right. But we also figured out that we're not running from that. We were running to this. And to me, that that was the game changer for me was that mindset shift to stop running from alcohol and to start realizing, wait, what am I running toward? Mm -hmm. So with all of that said, I want to talk about, I kind of want to go through the highlights of this running career of yours. You said that you had done a few marathons before you, you surrendered. Like what was your running resume? What did it look like when you were discharged from treatment? You had how many marathons under your belt? Had you done an ultra yet? I hadn't. No, I was a road marathon runner and um, shorter distances. And I never ran in high school or college. Um, I entered a 5k um, in college at Ohio University. Um, we, a bunch of us entered it one drunken night, to be honest with you, as a joke. We were going to, we challenged each other to run it the next day. I think it, it was the uh, homecoming 5k back in the day when, you know, you could walk up and run. And um, I don't remember how many of us, not everyone woke up and did it, but um, we did. And my, my then boyfriend, now husband, we both did it. And, um, you know, it was miserable. I mean, it was, I literally can, I remember it in my mind's eye. I actually got sick at one point, but I finished and, um, and there was something about it. I wish I could understand what either the magic or the physiological or scientific thing, because something happened even in that miserable experience to where I thought, all right, I'm going to, I could maybe do Maybe I'll, I think it was something like maybe I'll try this sober, not hungover, and see how it feels. And um, and so I did, and and that's where my running career started. Um, you know, now I do. I love laughing about it, and you know, it, addiction is there's nothing funny about it, and it is it's trying to kill us, and it is killing us and our kids even. But there is humor that in in recovery, and I love. I will never shut the door on the past. Not because I want to stay humble and present where I am, but and I want to remember not to feel guilty or even remorseful. One of the things it, we talked about being so grateful for where we are and we're running towards it, but I'm and I'm not running from where I was, but I am profoundly grateful to learn why I was running away. Mm-hmm. Runner or not, I was running away because I wanted to, I needed to drink and I ne- thought I needed to drink especially towards the end to feel better or to feel okay. And so what I did in my own recovery was learn a lot. And I still am learning. I mean, until the day I don't take a breath anymore, I'm still going to be, that's why I say in recovery, not recovered, because I'm continuing to learn what, what my why was. I know what my why is today, my why in recovery, but what was my why in terms of even the first time I drank, you know, the first time I drank at 14 wasn't because you know, I was a stressed mom or because I was, uh, my dad left. I, I don't, you know, but it was a lot of different things. And so I loved it, love and recovery, learning about those. And, and I mean, Chris Heron from Heron Project talks about that. We need to talk more about the first day and not the worst day, especially when it comes to kids and prevention. Hey, while we're talking about the joy of running, I need to pump up a partner of the podcast, my great friend, Michelle Quirk at Mindful Marathon. I say it on the podcast a lot, exercise is medicine. Well, my favorite pediatrician and running coach, Michelle Quirk, she's helping countless people get healthy and realize their potential through her business, Mindful Marathon. 
Maybe you're looking to run a mile without stopping to walk, or you're training for a 5K or a marathon, any number of distances. Maybe you're a former track star who hasn't laced them up in years. Michelle meets her clients exactly where they are, and she gets results. She does so by building you an individualized training plan. She's with you every step of the way with regular calls, check-ins, and support. She's helping me out with my training for 101K at the Hitchcock Experience in December, and I'm counting on her to lay out my calorie intake as the training runs get longer. Go to mindful-marathon.com right now and click on that purple button in the upper right, the one that says schedule a call. Take advantage of a free consultation. Every runner starts from somewhere, even if that mile is zero. Michelle's going to meet you there. She's going to root for you, and she's going to celebrate with you at the finish line. So go to mindful-marathon.com right now and start your journey today. All right, Pam. So as you were saying... So, um, so I was, so I started running, you know, in that, in that, in that weird realm where I just, you know, was doing it because I, you know, on a dare. And then I started running, um, actually just by myself at Ohio university and, and, and kind of, and I just liked it. I liked the feeling and it gave me a feeling of control, which I was always seeking. (laughs) I mean, I was just madly seeking, controlling everything, which is also why addiction is such a paradox because it, it, it rendered me out of control. (laughs) And again, and why, you know, and the insanity of it is I would, I continue to do it over and over and over again for years before, you know, this isn't working for me. So that was the, uh, that was the reason I think I continue to do it. And then I was also not healthy, even though I was slim and looked fit and everything, I wasn't healthy you know, the whole thing, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't one thing. It was just this whole mishmash of unhealthy thinking and, and looking for approval, looking for approval from my body. I lost a lot of weight, even though I didn't need to lose weight when I first started running. But this was back in the early eighties where it's like, Oh, I'm so skinny. And you know, it was just not a healthy reason to do it, but I was doing it. Well, there's this fallacy that like for me, when I was hating my job hating my addiction, hating my depression, my anxiety. One of the things that I think kept me in addiction, and this is like the the greatest irony, was that I was doing these distance races. I was running four or five days a week. And at that time, I felt really good. I felt in control. And so I kept convincing myself that I was, I was all right. And I got this. Hundred I would go out over the weekends and run 16, 17, 18 miles, Mm -hmm. sweat out a whole week's worth of disaster and be like, okay, I got it this time and dead wrong right back into the pits. But so kind of skip forward a little bit. So how, how many marathons did you have before you got clean? There were seven because I didn't drink when I was pregnant or breastfeeding. Um, and I had the two of our kids during those years. Actually, I had, yeah, we had all three kids before I got sober, but I was, so I was managing it to where, you know, I would celebrate long runs with drinking, but I could control it enough to not be like, I can't run because I'm hung over. I did what needed to be done. And I, I figured out how to have it both ways. So yeah, I, I had I run I ran seven, and I think it, there were five of those seven that I actually qualified for Boston. And it, this is only interesting to me probably, but it's really telling. I never ran Boston. I never even entered Boston because wow. no, because I was like I was afraid. I was like I was overwhelmed with it. It was like oh that's too, I won't I don't know I can't do that. I just never did. I didn't run even enter Boston until after I got sober. 
I had some natural ability. So I was winning local races, running in the, the closest city to me is Roanoke, Virginia. So especially in the late 90s, I mean, I even won overall in a 10K one time, which was pretty big deal. I, I ran like a 42 minute, but for, for me, that was enough to win the 10K or maybe it was 41 minutes. Anyway, so I was able to physically still run fast and, and strong. But, it, but even back then, I was definitely an active alcoholic, but I wasn't drinking all the time. One of the ways that alcoholism manifested with me, actually always, but especially during those fits and starts were blackouts. I mean, and I just kind of, I faked my way through them. I would lie. I would, you know, or my husband would, you know, there were red flags, but then there was enough time that there, it was, everything was okay. But like Tom would say, Hey, da, 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 da. Or I would tell him something and he'd be like, well, we talked about that. And I was like, Oh, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to describe it to someone who doesn't go through it because people are just like, well, God, didn't that make you go? Oh my gosh, there's a problem. Bear in mind the guy you're talking to right now, that was from Northeastern Wisconsin. So pretty much everybody in that orbit of mine understands this because drinking is such a huge part of the culture there. Like yes. there, it's just a running joke that it's like, Oh, my husband or my wife didn't remember because she was too smashed or I mean, right. it's, it's, it's gross, but that no, it, but that's the truth. And I went to Ohio University, where I don't know if you know much about OU, and we are proud alums. And we, we were supposed to go there this weekend for the. We go back all the time because we met there. But it is what it, it was at the time, and still is one of the biggest party schools in the country. It's just you know it was it was normal. So nobody was looking at me going, you got a problem. But I mean, even later on, again, not drinking during pregnancies and stuff. So, you know, and I wasn't, you know, like drunk on the couch and, you know, all that. I, it was definitely very manageable. Yeah. But I know for a fact, this wonderful hindsight, man, did I, you know, I was an active alcoholic anytime I drank. So get yourself in a treatment, you get clean. And now well, let me do some quick math. I mean, we're talking just about 55 marathons since then, more than 40 ultras. Yeah. And let, I mean, let's hit the highlights because we, we can't talk about all 60 of those, right? right. <laughs> um, or, or however many, 80, 90, you, you alluded to one of them before the icebreaker run. I had the pleasure of having uh, catch record on the podcast a couple of months ago. Well, yes. My teammate. And I don't even think we talked about this because our conversation meandered everywhere. It was glorious. She's got some kind of resume. You think I do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this was this was truly this was truly unique in that you had six people get together with a common mission. And this wasn't just about running. Tell me what made this the most significant. To me, it seems like, again, it was the human connections. You had had nothing to do with running, almost nothing to do with running. We used it. We used running because it was going to get a heck of a lot more attention than if we had a you know chicken dinner gala with even the big speakers. Seriously. And so um, the brainchild of Chris Martin and Charlie Ingle, who is Charlie is also a dear friend. I mean, and it was really odd that I think because I knew Charlie through running and recovery, I was gratefully uh, grateful to be invited. But I was like an odd bird because I didn't have the resume that some of them had. And then I also, um, I was the oldest one. I was the only mom. <laughs> I was like team mom. So when I was invited, I first was like, oh, thank you so much. It was kind of like great to be nominated type thing. But I can't, I probably can't do it. But it is so thrilling, Charlie, that you're even doing it, let alone thinking to ask me. 
but I was working for, for Heron Project full time. I was still, you know, I think in, we, I, we still had at least one child in school. But anyway, long story short, I brought it up to my leadership at Heron Project and they, um, I'm biased, but they're wonderful and incredible. And they said, of course, they said, you can do it and we'll support it. You can do it and we will be part of it. Or you cannot do it and we'll be part of it. Whatever works best for you, because they loved the mission as well. Because the mission really was what we called continuing the conversation. That's why it was called out, out, the icebreaker run, because we wanted to break the ice um, even more so about speaking about, again, not just substance use disorder and addiction, but mental health issues because they go together and we were all dealing with something that can lead us to bad choices because we want to feel better. It's, you know, there's a lot of great science and stuff that I don't understand, but I know that people hurt and they want to feel better. And I also know that hurt people hurt people. So it's a cycle. So we wanted to do something that was going to bring attention to us so that we could share not just our stories but yeah we've got some we've got some chops we can run a lot let's do that and let's let's make some noise so the coolest part about it was and the hardest part was not the running but it was the living every day <laughs> because we weren't just running we stopped everywhere and talked to people we really did physically we did a Southern route throughout through the United States and we had a wonderful team that supported us online so that people knew where we were going to be when we were supposed to be wearing these trackers that, that failed like on day one. So what did we do? We had to figure out another way, just like in recovery, just like in life, we had to adapt. I love that. We had two RVs and one white van. The white van was always with there. There were two crew members with uh, two runners. The white van was always moving across the country as one runner at a time. We we always had someone running twenty four seven. That's the only way we could get from um, Santa Monica to DC in uh, twenty four days, I believe. And we made it on time because we finished in we started in Santa Monica. We finished in DC at the Mental Health America National Conference day one ran on stage. So again, we were trying to be dramatic to get our point of view. And so we met at YMCA's, treatment centers, schools, Salvation Armies, um, VA center. You know, we, we just, we met with individuals that came out and ran with us. Um, but again, it was the, it was the, 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 the technical, the, um, technical details were tough because the logistics, I should say, because we had to leapfrog each other and we net, we didn't miss even an inch of road because we would drop whoever was done with their shift of running, dropped a pin. And so the next shift would, uh, would start running and you had a running shift of seven hours per day. Then you had 14 hours off. And then you had to start running again. So it was it was more than a full time job, because during the hours off, you either you had to sleep, eat, bathe if you could, and meet with people. <laughs> so you know it didn't change the world, but it moved the needle. I think. Mm. And one of my favorite sayings is "Grow some good where you are." Good things grow, and we can grow good where we are, who we are. I there no excuse about that. You can grow good by you know, helping someone next door to you. It doesn't matter. But there's so there's enough bad out there that we can't necessarily take it all take all the bad away, but we can grow some good, add some light. And wow, how powerful if we all did that right where we are. What I love about like the underlying 
idea there is incremental growth. Yes. Because if everybody does a little, we, you know, it moves the needle further. And I think that th- this is like with, with anything where if we set like grandiose goals and if we expect major change in 30 days, like if we, if we expect eight minute abs, it's, <laughs> it's not. Stop it. yeah. And also people tend to give up as well when, when they try huge, huge things or efforts, whether it's a person or an, or an organization. But if we just like we know the do, ne- do the next right thing mantra, that again is, you know, and, and I mean, my kids, when I first got sober and started living that and saying that to them, because a lot of things in recovery apply to others that are not necessarily in recovery. So my kids were annoyed to high heavens with me with the do the next right thing, trust the process, you know, keep your acceptance high and, and your acceptance high and, and your um, expectations low. <laughs> Sorry, those things work in life. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you can tell them, look, look, been there, done that. Yeah, exactly. As all parents can. Sorry, I got, I got, yeah. I got distracted for a moment. My black lab is trying to like, he's over by the door of the studio. He wants out, but I know if I let him out, he's going to go downstairs and get terrorized by our husky puppy. <laughs> so I've, 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 I have convinced him by scratching him with my foot to lie back down. So I love that. My rescue pit is over on the couch down here because I won't let her be upstairs when I'm down here because the cats don't like her. So (laughs) yeah, see, we don't do the interspecies thing. We just have a geriatric black lab and a husky puppy, which is a terrible idea in and of itself. But (laughs) I want to make sure that we get into some team hair and stuff specifically. Yes. Uh, so you are the director of active engagement. Is that right? Correct. Tell, tell me what that looks like. I assume that you are doing a lot of the organizing of getting engaged with people. And in, in terms of, is that active engagement as in like you're organizing, you know, the, the runs and stuff like that, that, that literally involves physical activity? Yes. For the most part, it actually started, um, it used to be called THP Runs because we were actually, our name was The Heron Project and we rebranded a little bit. So it's just Heron Project now. And um, long story short there too, one of the reasons why we're calling it active engagement instead of just runs is because it's not just for running. There's lots of different ways that people can get involved with us. But also to be honest and transparent, the running and the running um, events are simply an effective, beautiful way to raise money, Mm -hmm. funds, and awareness for not only Heron Project, but for the disease of addiction, breaking the stigma, as well as shining a light on the tremendous potential in recovery. Like we talked about, it's recovery again, and this is not hyperbole, you you can you have the opportunity not to just survive which how great is that here you go you can survive and not die from addiction that's a pretty great thing but not only do you survive you can thrive better than before i i wouldn't wish addiction on anyone but aside from the pain i caused my family i wouldn't give it up for anything not only because i don't want to relapse but because what a gift this life has become that I never imagined. You used a very magic word for me before when when you said thriving and thriving in sobriety is very, very important to me. That Those are the kinds of things that we do within the community that I get to manage. Um, 
so yeah, day-to-day stuff. I do manage all of our teams. We have everything from 5Ks to Boston Marathon, and we've grown to the point where now we have, you know, we have Boston, London, Berlin, New York. So that's four of the marathon majors right there. We have lots of other um, events, and we have something called Own Your Own Event, Own Your Own Race, which is very popular because that way people can get connected with us and and do everything and be connected in every, in every way, choosing their own event, whether it's a major marathon that we might not have on our event calendar, such as Chicago, because we've got a, we've got a small team running Chicago, but we don't we don't have charity bibs for Chicago yet. Then I have other folks that are doing Ironmans. And I mean, you could do a wiffle ball tournament. People have done lots of different creative things using Own Your Own Race. My job actually came to be because of Chris Heron running the 2014 Boston Marathon. John Hancock gave Heron Project three bibs for that year based on the relationship they had with Chris. And it wasn't through the official charity program. So it was kind of going to, it was going to be a one and done. Chris decided is if he was going to ask others to run, he was going to run it. So that year, Chris and the um, then board president, Kevin, and one, um, we, who we call the original Team Heron Project member, her name is Pamela Hogue. She was, is a flight attendant um, who was early in recovery. She took the third bib and they ran Boston Marathon and it was wonderful. And they raised the money and they were, that was going to be it. But because of Chris running and the notoriety that he received, people were contacting Heron Project and wanting to run for Heron Project or run with Chris. And you would probably realize too, especially back even just as as um, recently as 2014, there weren't a any, if there were maybe hardly any, if any charities raising money for addiction resources, you know, you, you could run for, you know, Livestrong or Susan G. Komen and Leukemia and all those other wonderful organizations, but there weren't, and there weren't organizations asking for um, resource money to help people either get sto- sober, stay sober or prevent um, addiction. And, um, and a lot of that was because of the, the stigma. So, and I've seen the stigma reduced, reduced dramatically, even over the seven years that I've been doing this, Christopher, it really has. I mean, it, you know, it, it, in the beginning, even for me, it was hard to, um, because people tend to, uh, it's also an anonymous. A lot of people want to stay anonymous. So if you're going to run and ask people to donate to a cause that means something to you, you're going to want to share with them why it does. So we that's a huge, beautiful part of my job are, is when people come to us because they're in recovery and they want to celebrate it and help others. There a lot of people find healing and hope with us. And it's my least favorite way, but it's because they have lost someone. And so they, you know, what do you do? There's nothing, you feel like there's nothing you can do and you can't get your loved one back, but you can not only help others get, get, uh, find their road to recovery, but you can heal at the same time because the biggest part of my job is creating, maintaining and managing this community that we have. As you, you know, get all these bibs and you get people running all of these marathons and people are raising these funds. I, and I know you said before that we're moving the needle, but often it's anonymous and and we don't hear from the folks who we're helping. But you have to occasionally hear from somebody who says, because of the work that the Heron Project is doing, that their brother, sister, friend, father, daughter was able to get the help that they need. When, when you hear that, I mean, what does that do for you? Off the charts, off the charts, granted. I will tell you, 
we hear it. I hear it regularly. Okay. I'm not going to say, you know, 17 times a week. I, I do hear it every week. My teammates, Heron Project as a whole, hears it every day. And I'm not exaggerating. One quick example, and I say this to my teammates all the time, because I love to share this stuff with them too, because I have a bird's eye view of what's going on, not just with the races. And I mean, even this morning, it was cool and it was fun. I had to get up at five because I had the London Marathon Charity Managers meeting and it was 6 a.m. for me because it was noon for them. So I'm sitting there with my coffee going, this is so cool. So I shared it with our teammates. So I have that bird's eye view of all that cool stuff, but the best bird's eye view is what's going on, not only the community of Team Heron Project, but at Heron Project. So we have meetings. I have at least three meetings, regular meetings, if not four, four now because we are in the middle of a serious strategic planning effort, speaking to exactly what you're talking about, how to really critically look at what we've done, what we're doing and where we're going. Because it's very easy to operate to focus on the urgent, especially in this business, it, you, and, 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 and put aside the importance sometimes because we're dealing with, we're not a crisis management center, but we're dealing every day, you know, the, the wheel never stops turning, but we still need to be looking at what we've done, evaluating it and getting better for the future. But anyway, on these meetings I have every, every week, I have never in seven years, never once not come away going, wow, we're doing the work. We're doing the work because I'm not kidding. And I do say, you say I have a great job. I do. I, I feel like I have the best job at Heron Project with Heron, with the Heron Project family because my job is to raise money and share the stories, share the work of what my colleagues do. I don't do the work. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not certified. I mean, I certainly hopefully help people what you know in in and out of my job by sharing my own story my own um recovery story and and share resources but i don't do the work that my colleagues do i get which is why in some ways the fundraising is easy because we can we can prove what we say we do we're doing not only with numbers and stats but stories I mean, so many stories, especially over the past seven years. And seven years is a tiny blip. So, yeah, I mean, that I'm really enthusiastic with that answer, Christopher, because it's a very honest answer and easy for me to say. I hear it every week, not only from others that are communicating to me directly, but from my teammates. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for everything you. that you and Heron Project does. I am so eternally grateful that you came on here. It, it was su- it was such a pleasure to meet you and 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 feel that that radiance, that joy. I needed to do me a big favor. Can can you do me a favor, please? I will. Whatever you ask. Please stay corny. Just okay. <laughs> thank you again for joining me. Do me a favor and stay in touch. All right. I promise. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Pat. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, bye. All right. If you haven't yet, be sure to follow Pam Rickard on Instagram. It is Pam underscore Rickard. That's at P-A-M underscore R-I-C-K-A-R-D for your regular doses of joy and gratitude. 
I'd also urge you to look into the work that her employer, the Heron Project, is doing by visiting heronproject.org. And when you follow Pam on Instagram, you're gonna see you're gonna see all the amazing things that she's doing as the director of active engagement. Goodness, I just love, I love this woman. And I was so excited to talk to her. And boy, did she deliver. So thank you so much to Pam for joining us. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Be sure to follow me on Instagram as well. It's at 40,000 underscore steps. Until we meet on there, until we meet back here on the podcast, folks, please stay corny. And if it feels like things are falling apart outside of this space, right here, we are always coming together. I love you so very much and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.